There I am. Uh, so Valentine's Day is coming up, and uh, Valentine's Day is, is, is fun, it's interesting. Guys, I hope that you are uh, thinking about blessing your wives. Not, not that you have to, because Hallmark says you should, but you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing to do for, your, for our wives. And, um, but it also got me thinking about love, as we tend to around this time, and um, I think we can all agree that maybe our concept of love in, in this culture, this day and age, is a little weak, a little cheap. Um, you know, you, you hear people talking about loving all sorts of different things. We love our pets, and there's nothing wrong with that. We, we love Taco Bell. We, we love all sorts of stuff, right? I mean, but, but is that a good thing to, use, to throw love around that way and, and to... Uh, to just say we love everything, I, I don't know. And, and maybe we need a way to distinguish our loves a little bit. Um, and so as, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about some of my own story and, and if I've ever really loved well, and I, I, don't, I don't know. But I think that uh, as we look at Ephesians 1 and we look at adoption, particularly uh, the way that God has adopted us into his family, I think that uh, we, we don't really see God's love, at least in my opinion, we don't really see God's love in any greater way than we do in the way that he has adopted us through his son, Jesus. Now, now real quick, per, on a personal note, as a lot of you know, um, we adopted, uh, it's been five years, which is crazy, <laughs> that uh, almost five years ago, Jennifer and I uh, along with Thomas and Cindy DeMoss, went to Uganda to adopt. And we adopted two children. They adopted two children, uh, who most of you know and, and love, I hope. Um, that story was not, I mean, it's about a lot of different things. It was about wanting to be parents. It was about, you know, seeing a need and, and hoping to uh, sort of provide a family and a home to children who have been abandoned. Um, but really... We would always say it's not about biology, it's about theology. And so we would, I think, I think it was motivated by this desire to, as best we could, reflect or imitate the love that God has toward us. And so as we look at our text, that's what I want us to kind of keep in mind, is, is that really this text, though it is about adoption, it is more, I think, about the deep, deep love that God has for his children. So let's let's read Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Pray with me. Father, as we come to your word and as we come to a time uh, where, where you would speak to us through your word, I pray that you would do just that, that you would, um, by your Holy Spirit, uh, awaken our hearts and our minds to what it is you would have us uh, know about you and about um, how you might call us to 
uh, imitate you and your love uh, through your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so Paul begins Ephesians 1, at least this section of Ephesians 1, and he is super excited. I don't know if you can tell from this English text or not, but if you were to read, uh, just starting in verse 3 all the way through 14, I mean, he's just like, he's like a teenage girl in some ways. I, maybe you've never heard anybody compare Paul to a teenage girl before, but I mean, he really is. He's just like, oh my gosh, and God does this, and God does this, and God does this, and he is so excited. It's like this one long run-on sentence. He just cannot contain his excitement. And it's because he's talking about the way that God has blessed us, the way that God loves us, the way that God uh, has shown his grace and, uh, and mercy to us, how God lavishes his love on us. And we see that the first thing he, he talks about is how God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How many of those blessings? Every one of them. And that's kind of crazy to think about. It might be a little bit mind-blowing for us, um, particularly because when you you hear the word blessing, you may be like me, and you may be thinking about material things. You know, your your house or your car or your uh, 401k or or even your relationships, you know, your wife or your husband or your children, your parents. And those are all wonderful blessings, obviously, from God. But... But he's talking about spiritual blessings. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what are those and where are those? Um, well, we, we know that right now, Jesus is not dead. Right? He's alive. He rose from the dead. He, uh, Acts 1 says he ascended into heaven. Hebrews 1 says that he, even right now, is sitting uh, on the on the throne and reigning and ruling and upholding the universe. Like every atom is, is being held together because Jesus is doing it. And so that's, what he, that's where he is and what he's doing right now. And so if Paul is saying that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, which is where Jesus is, then, I, then is he saying that we have every blessing that Jesus has? Why, Yes. That is what he's saying. Now let me dig into that a little bit more. Um, we, we live in, if you, if you know anything about Reformed theology, you'll hear people talk about the already and the not yet, which means that the kingdom has come, Jesus has uh, come and, and established in a sort of a way his kingdom, but yet it's not fully here, right? Because he's not here with us. There will be a day when he, he comes and is literally here in the new heavens and new earth. But that day isn't here yet, obviously. Um, And so we're kind of in this in-between time. Um, So because we're in that already not yet, uh, we have some of these blessings that Paul's talking about, some of these spiritual blessings, but they're not fully realized yet. However, I want you to think about this. So from January 2013 through July 2013. That was the period of time where we had decided and and God had confirmed that we were going to adopt Nathaniel and Elijah, but they were still in Uganda and we were here. Um, And and so we began at that time to uh, get a room ready for them and to, and a lot of people gave, y'all gave us all kinds of stuff, clothes and toys, and we had all this great stuff for them. Um, And they, they had a house, they had a room that was their own, they had beds they just weren't here. 
yet. And so in, in some ways, even though they had never actually even met us, uh, they had all of these blessings that we, they were, they were ours, and we, we were saying they were also theirs. They just hadn't gotten to experience them yet. And so in some ways, that's what Paul is saying, is that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, if you are in Christ, it belongs to you right now. You just don't get to experience all of it yet. And in some ways, we couldn't even comprehend what it all is yet. We could probably sit here for days and days and years and years and talk about what those things might be and never come to the end of it. But let's get a little bit more into what we can know. So, I was reading uh, Exodus 19 the other day. It's this crazy passage about how you know, God's about to give the Israelites the Ten Commandments and, and uh, he's about to come descend on Mount Sinai. But he tells Moses to tell the Israelites, don't let them come too close because they might die. And you start to think about that and it's like, what? And then later on it, it says that he does descend on the mountain and the whole mountain shakes. Like, can you imagine an entire mountain shaking? And there's all this smoke, and there's smoke because God descends in like this blazing fire. And again, he's like, don't, don't let the Israelites come too close because I may break out against them if they do. So they would have been, if they had come too close, they would have been literally eviscerated by the power and, and the might and, and really the holiness of God. Because a holy God... Who, who is so majestic in his holiness that we can't even comprehend, cannot be in the presence of sin. So, that's a problem. If you want to be near God, you need a mediator. And that's why we have the blessing of having a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who has passed through death and, and has, been, has risen from the dead and has made a way for us to come near to God the Father. What a blessing. Can you, I mean, stand there and think about that for a second, about what it might have been like for us to try to come to God without Jesus. You're going to get blown up. But now we have Jesus, the great high priest, and so we can draw near to him. And that is one of many spiritual blessings that we have because of Christ and also the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth, who is our counselor, our comforter. And, and Romans 8 even says that when we don't know what to pray, he knows what to pray. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Jesus knows his Spirit. And if, you're, if his spirit is dwelling in your hearts, he knows his spirit and he knows you better than you know you. And so his spirit literally is interceding on our behalf. What a blessing. We have a church. We have, we have this church, Hickson Presbyterian Church, and we're a part of the worldwide church, a, a community of people who, if you have nothing at all in common with another believer sitting right next to you, your race, your language, nothing, but you know Christ then you have the most important common thing anybody could ever have. And so you can strike up a bond with that person. And that's, that's part of what the church is, is this group of people who really, for all intents and purposes, shouldn't hang out, but they do because of Jesus. And so they, they do the community together. We 
hold each other accountable. We pray for each other. We encourage one another. We, as Galatians 6 2 says, carry one another's burdens. And I want to, as I close out this point, I want to camp out there for a second. So there's all these blessings, and we could, again, we could keep talking about them forever, but um, if, if we are blessed, we belong to Jesus and we are blessed, then that blessing is not meant to, to end on us, right? I mean, uh, think Abraham, Genesis 12, you are blessed, I'm blessing you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. And that's really the whole story of the people of God is, is supposed to be about them being a blessing to the nations so that, so that the, the entire world might be filled with those who are worshiping God. And so if, if that's you, if you are blessed enough to know Jesus and to belong to Jesus, then um, the, the next logical question to ask is, well, now who should I bless? Uh, if, if you don't know and, and you have the time, I can tell you one thing right now that would be a great way to bless somebody. Come be a volunteer in our day school. We, we are... We really have a wonderful group of people back there, teachers and and some very sweet little children. And and there is a lot of laughter and a lot of love, and it's real love. Um, You you may get, you know, some cookie stains on your shirt or something, but they're they're very sweet. Yet we really need some more people to come back there and help us volunteer. And so what a way to bless somebody to come for like a day every week and and just spend a few hours and, and hold babies or... Um, you know, hang out with little ones. That's just a thought. But there, there are tons of other ways that you could bless somebody. Um, we just have to, to consider how we have been blessed and then step out and think, oh, that, that frees me up to bless other people too. Who, who is God putting in your life? Who has God put in your life? And who has he called you to bless? Well, what did we do to earn this these blessings, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How did we get this? Well, we didn't do anything. And that, that brings me into my next point, which Paul goes on to talk about how we were chosen from before creation. And this is this love that God has for us. It is not a love that, that he looks at us and says, oh, I want that guy on my team. Like, like the Olympics, you know, they, they are choosing the best of the best of the best to snowboard down a mountain and, and do like these crazy flips because they can do it. They're really good. Well, well, God didn't choose based on like what he thought we could do for him. He just chose because it delighted him to do so. And that's what Paul's talking about here. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is for a lot of different reasons, a lot of things that God has done, but the first thing that God did was he chose before the foundation, before creation. And, and, you know, God, if somebody comes to Christ, comes to faith in Christ, like if you're out there and you don't know Jesus and today you come to faith in Christ for the first time, guess what? God is not surprised by that. He knows. He chose. He chose you. And, and he hasn't just chosen, but also Romans 8.29 talks about how he, those whom he foreknew, as in those whom he had a relationship with, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So he not only chose us, he knew us. That's 
If that's not enough to blow your mind, I don't know what it is, but we can keep going. So, again, back to our adoption story. I want to illustrate it this way. God, we, we chose to adopt Nathaniel and Elijah. They didn't choose to come into our family, right? I mean, they didn't know who we were. We, we saw a picture of them, and we said, okay, they're the ones. We chose them. And, and not only did they not know about this, they, they actually couldn't have chosen us. I mean, you just forget the logistics of trying to get across 7,000 miles of desert and ocean to get to us, but legally they could not just put themselves into our family. We, we had to choose them and adopt them. And that, of course, that illustration is going to break down at some point. I get that, but it illustrates the key point, which is that God does it all. And we have nothing to do with it. When it comes to salvation, we have nothing to do with it. We are, he, he is the initiator of this love, and it is because he delights to do so. It, it pleases him to choose to adopt. Well, why, why can't we choose him? Well, what's, what's wrong? Like, what's the hang-up here? And, and the hang-up is, it's more than a hang-up, it's our sin. Romans 3, 10 and 11 talks about how no, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. We are not capable of choosing God. It, you may think you're, we can try really hard and, and we can seek Him, but, but no, the text, the, the Scriptures say, no one seeks God. But that's why the Gospel is about what God does. about God makes us a new creation. God gives us a new heart. Salvation is a gift where we are passive recipients of something that God has actively done. He he has secured us a place in His family by the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of His Son Jesus. And then by the effectual call of, of His Holy Spirit. And this is His amazing love for us. But there's more to it. Paul talks about something that comes next, which is that God chose us, not only did He choose us before the foundation of the world for our, our justification, He's also chosen us for our sanctification to make us holy and blameless before Him. Now that word holy, you probably hear that and you might think about Pharisees. You know, people who are like, I'm holier than you. I'm, I'm on the A team, you're on the B team. I'm hol- holier than thou types. And that's really not what the Bible means by holiness. Uh, that's self-righteousness. And, and that's actually not really possible. You can think you're self-righteous, but in the end, you're really not. Holiness is actually about Jesus' righteousness and, and us getting to walk in Christ's righteousness. And because we are a new creation, that we're made able to obey, then we, we can become more holy and pleasing to God. But only until, only when we have a new heart, only when we are a new creation, can that be possible. And it's a lifelong process. You don't become perfect in holiness the day you become a Christian. I mean, anybody in this room can tell you that that's true. So we're going to stumble, we're going to fall, but, but as we take 
kind of three steps forward, two steps back, as, as Robert has, has said to me many times, when I have stumbled and fall, f- fallen, um, this, this is a gift where God continues to work. And so it's this, this tension of God, it's a gift, sanctification is a gift, but it's also active on our parts, and that God is, is calling us to, to put ourselves in front of the means of grace. So that's why we are, that's why we want to dig into God's word. That's why we want to have a prayer life, so we can connect with God, so we can communicate with Him. That's why we want to be a part of a church, so that when we're stumbling and falling, we've got brothers and sisters who walk beside us and say, hey, you okay? This is not about a checklist. It's not about you do this, you do this, you do this, and Jesus will put you on His Olympic team. We're not, I'm not saying, and the Bible is definitely not saying that we need to act holy to earn God's favor. Again, that's self-righteousness. But it's saying that, that we have been given God's good favor, that we've been made new, and so we can become holy over the course of a lifetime. Let's talk about another, a third and final spiritual blessing, at least from this little section of this text, which is that God has adopted us as sons. Now, this is really the crucial part here of this text because it really does set apart God's love from any other type of love that you can think of. Um, you know, if you poll Americans, most of them will say they believe in God or a God or, or some kind of, you know, like deistic force. Um, and, and they'll also say that God might love them, but if you really start to talk to people, they, they think of God's love as more like Superman. So, you know, Superman will like kind of fly in, save somebody from a burning building, pull them out, set them down, and be like, all right, peace, got to go save somebody else. You know, so we think of God that way, that, that he's powerful, he's kind of out there, he'll help you out when you need help, but then, you know, he doesn't really want to know you, doesn't want to deal with your, your mess, your brokenness. We, we tend to think of God as just sort of being there when we need him, when things are going really bad. Um, but other than that, we do our thing, he does his. Well, this text is telling us something entirely different about God and his love for us, isn't it? Uh, and here's another thing, too. Maybe, maybe you have gotten, like, you're, you're not even in that place where you think God's love is kind of weak. Like, maybe you don't even think God loves you at all. I know there's people out there that feel that way, or that God is angry with you. Um... You ever thought that, like you, you have a bad day, you mess up, and, and you picture God as being up there like, messed up my plans again, how dare you, now I've got to come down here and fix all your mess that you made, and you know, as if God doesn't know everything already. <laughs> That's, I struggle with that sometimes, but again, verses 5 and 6, God's love for us shows us something completely different. It says that God has adopted us to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, uh, I wanted to say real quick, you may may have caught on to this, that it says adoption as sons. And you might think, 
Well, why in this age of gender neutrality would we not have it say children or sons and daughters? And that's a really good question, but I think it's important that that word there remain sons because it's not trying to communicate that God only adopts dudes, right? Because we know elsewhere in Galatians, Paul says that there's neither male nor female in Christ, that all are one in Christ. And so, of course, God adopts men and women into his family. What he's trying to communicate here is the idea of inheritance. And so, you know, back in the day, only sons inherited stuff. And so what he's saying is that not only are we adopted into his family as children, both men and women, we are adopted as those who, who are heirs, who inherit something pretty amazing from God. So God's love for us no matter what your experience might be, is certainly not cold or distant. It is fatherly. It is adoptive. He knows us intimately. And he wants us to know him intimately as well. And we know that because, well, the whole Bible, but particularly in in this text, we know that because of what adoption is. Adoption is when an orphan, who is not known by this whatever family, gets a a new identity, a new name, a new family, a new, like a seat at a dinner table, their own room, their own bed. They're invited to come and call someone daddy and someone mommy, and, and it's a forever family. And they share in an inheritance. So this is in Ephesians 2, 18 and 19, expresses it this way, that We have access to God in one spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So if we belong to Jesus, if if we are in Christ, as Paul likes to say, we have every single right and privilege and blessing that a son could ever have from a father and more. And that means we have a completely new identity from what it used to be. So uh, when we brought Nathaniel and Elijah home, it was August of, of 2013, we didn't, they weren't technically adopted yet. We had to go through the process of adopting them here in the eyes of the United States government. So that meant all sorts of fun trips to government offices. And those are, you know how those are. So, but I'm going to give the government credit because it is something really cool. Um, when we finally got their new birth certificates, we were told that this birth certificate functions in such a way as if they were actually born into our family. And I thought that was amazing. I'm like, wow, the government came up with that? That's so cool. But it, it is, it's kind of mind-blowing to think that we hold this piece of paper in our hands and it's saying, these are your kids just as if they were born into your family. At the same rights, the same status, the same identity as if they had been our biological children. Now, we have a two-year-old, if you don't know, named Isaac, and his name means laughter, and he laughs all the time, which is it's a lot of fun. But you'll never, or, or rarely, will you ever hear us say anything about having biological kids and adopted kids. And the reason we don't do that is because to us, there's really no distinction. There are kids they're sons. 
And that's it. End of story. And so, I guess what I'm trying to communicate is that when we are in Christ, just, just as they have these new birth certificates that, that show them as being our sons, we have a new spiritual birth certificate. We are, we are sons and daughters in God's family. And so this is a huge change in identity. It's a drastic change. It's such a drastic change that it can only be from God. And we know this because Paul in Ephesians 2 talks about how in verse 1, he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Let me catch this real quick. We weren't spiritual orphans. We were spiritual corpses before, before Christ. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So again, we don't go from being spiritual orphans to spiritual sons. We go from being spiritual corpses to spiritual sons as Jesus breathes life into us. And that is an identity change that is so radical that it can only be from God. There's no other way. So what does that mean for us? Well, as I close, I wanted to read Galatians 4, 6, and 7 and talk about just a, a framework to think through this. Paul says in Galatians 4, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now I realize I could do a whole like, sermon series just on this verse, but just bear with me. There's a couple little things here. If, if we have a new identity in Christ, if we're given God's Spirit, we are new creations, we have new hearts. God talks about removing our hearts of stone, giving us a heart of flesh. It means we are made new. And we're not perfect yet. That comes at our glorification. But what this means is that we no longer operate according to our old identity. We have taken off or thrown off the old self and put on the new. We don't operate according to the identity of a slave, which is what the Bible says we were before Christ, slaves to sin. We operate now according to a new identity as that of a son. Now, this is challenging, of course. I mean, amen, we can still fall back into those old slave patterns, right? Slavery to sin, um, Sometimes it takes some, some getting over, maybe a whole life of getting over, because there is so much that can still cause us to stumble. Let me, let me give you an example of, of one way that I think is helpful to think about this. Um, I'm going to brag on my kids. Hope you're okay with that. All right. Nathaniel, one of the first days we met Nathaniel in Uganda, he organized our entire room. And the, kid, the kid was six. So I thought that was pretty awesome. He also apparently had his own cow at one point that he had to take care of. So very responsible, and he still is a very responsible young man, great at sports. I'm pretty sure he's going to be dunking on a 10-foot rim next year. Um, but is that what makes him valuable? No. Elijah. Elijah is hilarious. He's funny. He's witty. The first day I met Elijah in Uganda, I was carrying him around. He weighed like 24 pounds. And he kept saying this, this thing in Lugana. He would say, Yakoko va mboko. And he'd smile real big. And I'm like, oh, he's saying he loves me. 
And there's these Ugandan guys over here laughing, like about to fall out their chair. And I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, he's not saying he loves you. He's saying he's going to beat you with a stick. <laughs> so that's, that's his personality. He's funny and witty. He's still like that. And by the way, he's also the best Lego builder that I know. So that's pretty cool. But is that what makes him valuable? No. Isaac is, is very smart. He's already counting, knows his colors and shapes. He loves to laugh, loves to smile, and he can dunk on a two-foot rim. But is that what makes him valuable? No. But what if they thought, what if they lived every day as if that, those accomplishments were the things that made them valuable or were the things that secured for them an identity? What if they felt as though in order to have a place in our family, they had to achieve. I think that would be crushing. The truth, though, is that that's how we often think about being in God's family. That every day we've got to wake up and achieve. Every day we've got to wake up and, and accomplish this checklist. Every day we've got to wake up and be good. Guess what? We're not good enough. Only Christ is good enough. And so it's so wonderful, it's such amazing news, it's such amazing love that because Christ is good enough, we can be a part of his family too. That we can be given the Spirit of God to cry, Abba, Father, that we have an inheritance coming our way that is the kingdom of God. He's going to share his entire kingdom with us. Can you wrap your mind around what that means? It doesn't depend on our accomplishments. It depends on the accomplishments of a Trinitarian God who, who elects and chooses and loves and adopts and justifies and sanctifies and glorifies. I probably missed one in there somewhere. But, and that means that God is for us. Man, can you imagine? God is for us, and if he's for us, who can be against us? So if you belong to Jesus, then God is as pleased with you as he is with his own son, his only begotten son. That's because the gospel is a gift. That we get Christ's righteousness. That we experience God's pleasure because Jesus is pleasing to his Father. And because Christ has redeemed us by his blood. I don't know if it was a, a prayer that Robert prayed or a song, or maybe it was both, but there was a lot of talk this morning about once being enemies and Jesus did, when even while we were yet his enemies, even while we were yet slaves to sin, he made us his brothers. So if we're in Christ, we belong to Jesus, guess what? God's not angry at you anymore. Whatever wrath he may have had toward your sin, if you belong to Jesus, I want to be careful to say that. If you belong to Jesus, he's not angry at you. Because that wrath, that anger was put on Jesus on the cross. And when he died, it died with him. But we all know he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, and he became the firstborn among many brothers. So how might that, that kind of love, which I have not done justice in any way, shape, or form this morning, how might that kind of love change the way we live, the way we love, the way we serve? We live out of that freedom, out of that blessedness as sons, how might we 
function? How might we bless others as new creations living in the freedom of, be, of belonging to the beloved? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so amazed. We stand amazed here before you about the love that you have for us in Christ that by his blood, by his shed blood on the cross, we can be counted as sons adopted into your family. And I pray that each day we would live out of that new identity, walking in the freedom and the blessedness of knowing you and walking with Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.